I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts. This is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Dark Unicorn in Conversation. My guest today first came to my attention when she was a first-year undergraduate in the Theatre, Film and TV department at Aberystwyth University, during my final year as a lecturer there. She has spent a lifetime involved in the theatre, whether as a performer, choreographer, or these days, an increasingly prominent and vital voice on the Berlin burlesque scene, since moving to that city with her partner in 2015. Hers is a fascinating tale, charting a course from amateur theatre in Lincolnshire, via leading roles and training, to the London fashion scene, and thence to the mecca of cabaret, blazing a trail through one of the world's most vibrant, body-positive and progressive art forms. Her name is Chloe Gale, but she's best known to her ever-expanding coterie of admirers as the fabulous Miss Cadbury Parfait, a stunning example of cheeky, sassy, often satirical burlesque, as well as her work as a faculty member at the Shimmy Shake Berlin Burlesque School and the producer of the acclaimed extravagant shambles Cabaret Strand. We started our chat by discussing when she first realised that she was, in fact, a performer. Young, young. It was one of those, the first show I remember doing was with the Rainbows. And I must have been about four years old. And we learnt this basic pyjama teddy bear picnic routine. And my partner was growing a little tantrum and got muddled up. Um, in the lineup, so when it came to the little partner dance, she wasn't standing next to me. She burst into tears, and I look out in the audience and just go, "Just keep going." And I did the entire routine as though she was standing there with me. And uh, yeah, I was about four years old, and I thought, "Well, this is easy, and this is fun. People, people clapping for you, and everything else." And I thought, "Yeah, I like this." I could do this. Um, and then from there, moved on to doing, I suppose, youth theatre, community theatre in my town. And it just became a part of my routine. It was every Sunday. And then as I got older, evenings after school. Um, so I, I was always on, 
I was that child, probably very annoying, um, always wanting attention and would basically do anything for it. Um, and so I think it was just a, a sort of need for positive attention, but also enjoyed being a big show off. Um, still the same, the same goes. <laughs> um, when you were growing up, was there, I mean, obviously you, you just mentioned the, the things that you were involved with, but in general, in terms of your sort of set up, in terms of your family or whatever, was there a lot of sort of creativity growing up? Or was this a sort of an escape for it? Or was it something that you wanted to choose to? I suppose I grew up in a very small seaside town and the only access to theatre was uh, the, the, the Amdram, the local company, and then the pantomime. Um, and we'd go you know, as a family, all part of the brownies or something. But that was really my only live exposure. But my, it was my grandmother who was massively into art and dance and music and theatre who would sit me down and put programmes on that maybe she's recorded off the BBC or something onto VHS and just sit me down and have me watch it and then we'd talk about it. And I think, I think it's one of those things when someone is so passionate about something and they're talking, it's infectious. You can't help but um engage with it and so obviously you know as a young child I'm just sitting there sort of absorbing everything I'm told she showed me every female comic uh, that she could um and it probably wasn't until secondary school so about age 11 where I ventured down to London for the very first time and saw my first West End show and uh Shakespeare and I'd never really seen anything quite like it because being out in the sticks, um, they don't really venture uh, there. So it was a sort of, wow, this is a whole new world. Why do I live so far away from all of this? I will end up here one day. Um, so it, in some ways, had this sort of idyllic seaside town upbringing. Um, but then in other ways, I, I didn't get the advantages that say a lot of my colleagues at university had had from day one. Um, so, you know, there's pros and cons to it, but I think I definitely, once I, my grasp of performance was widened, was the kind of, yeah, this is, this is what I need to do. Um, kind of a, almost a light bulb moment. Yeah. And you, you went from that, that, small seaside town on, on the east of England yeah. to a university in a small seaside town in the west of Wales, which is where I first met you. Mm -hmm. um, and you studied, was it film and theatre? Yeah, drama, film and television. Um, this actually chimes in with, we did have a question sent in by, uh, by Laura. Um, who had asked about how your early experiences developed the sort of performer that you are today. But, um, I mean, I only saw a tiny bit of your progress in the university because I, 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 was, I was teaching there at the time and I left at the end of your first year. But um, how did your experiences, both not just within the, the university itself, but more broadly, because I know you did a lot of work outside of you know, classes, mm -hmm. uh, how did your experiences there help to develop you towards the performer that you, you are today? It was eye-opening again. Um, I think 
going into university after doing AMDRAM, it's great doing amateur dramatics, but you do pick up a lot of bad habits. And especially if you spent your entire youth getting the lead because maybe, you know, there's not many people going for it. And then suddenly not. Uh, it, you know, the, I took a hit, the confidence was bruised and suddenly realizing, okay, maybe you're not as good as you need to be now. So buckling down, going to see more performances, different types of performance. So in terms of my colleagues that were studying performance art, I had never seen really anything like that. I'd only seen straight plays or musicals. Um, so this idea of devised theatre or engaging with body movements, I'd never seen anything like that. And so I wanted to take aspects and learn and really reflect um, on what I was doing when I was performing, rather than just learning lines and doing what you did in every rehearsal. Um, it was quite stressful um, the third year, final year, doing the Anthony and Cleopatra, uh, and then obviously landing Cleopatra and realizing you've got a good three hours on stage in Shakespearean English, not one line cut, and being graded on it, and obviously having all your peers come to see you. Um, it was a completely different experience from yet just being given a pantomime script and just doing what you did in every rehearsal and that was good enough um, and so it was looking at it and dissecting it and thinking well who is this character what can I do with it it's obviously first of all looking after yourself being able to do as many performances as you can in a row keeping your voice staying healthy finding different aspects and running with it um, in a sense of I suppose not just repeating, responding to what the other actors on stage are giving you, what the energy from the audience is giving you. And I think that has now trickled down into my burlesque work in, I don't typically choreograph every single beat. I have sort of A to Bs that I need to hit. And I know at this point I, I need to have done this and I need to have done that. But the bit in the middle is very much dependent on the audience. And if their energy levels are low, I'm going to try to do my best to get them going. If they're giving me, you know, 100% energy, then I can maybe milk it a little bit more, take it slow, cool them down a little bit. And that was something I definitely learned to do at university is to think of the, the space as everyone is playing a part in your performance. Because for you, it's going to make um, a performance feel worthwhile, I suppose, and you learn something. But for an audience member to feel that brought in is incredible. I've had it as an audience member watching it. And it's like going into a, an alternate universe, you're suddenly part of it and it's almost like the actor or dancer performer is just you and them in the room and that was something I had to learn and it was quite difficult um, I had a few after hours with a few directors to really help me sort of 
deconstruct the scene and figure out what energy I'm bringing to it. And it was tough. And there were some points where I'm thinking, I can't do this. Should, someone else should have this part. This is too much. Uh, but in fact, I think it's, it's helped me really understand my audience, uh, regardless of what I'm doing, whether it's burlesque or acting or even um, speaking. So for my muggle job, um, being able to present convincingly um, to um, a department or to a manager, just bringing that in um, and yeah, using those skills that I was thankfully given um, because as, as much fun I, as I had doing the Amdram and it taught me a lot, um, I wouldn't be the performer I am today had I have stayed within within that world, yeah. And certainly, I mean, you, you, you mentioned there and think the um, Anthony Clare part that you did, because there, there will be, be a lot of people watching this who aren't familiar with the director of that, but there will be some who are, and uh, um, uh, director dramatist who also just retiring as professor of drama at Manchester mm-hmm. University, David Ian Raby. And he does, because I've worked with him as an assistant director, and he does ask a lot, but mm-hmm. in, a, in an extremely productive and I think fruitful way really he does and he does encourage the actors to behave in a way that then encourages the audience to be not just passive spectators but active spectators as well and um, you must have found that particularly dealing with such a a complex role as as clear better within that definitely and he doesn't spoon feed you he sort of lays the breadcrumbs down for you to get there yourself. Um, it would be you know, easy enough to, for a director to say, okay, I want you to say it like this and walk across the room like that and dot, 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 dot. Um, whereas he will work with you. And again, it's this, um, this breaking down of the character. And you know, he said, you're, you're not, for this part, you're not this 20 year old student you're a middle-aged queen with a vast array of famous lovers and you need to show that and he he actually I remember him saying after opening night um I have this thing when I perform it's almost out of body and I'll get off stage and I have no real memory of what's happened and he walked into the dressing room and said you're one of those really annoying performers that in a rehearsal space, it's never quite there. But the minute you have the energy of the audience, it works. It's very annoying as a director because you start to get concerned thinking she's not gonna deliver. Uh, And he says, uh, he just said, what happened? Your voice changed, your posture changed. uh, The text suddenly became your words. And all I could say is, I don't know. I don't, whether it's, adrenaline um or the audience or just a case of you have no other option you've got to nail this um but it was a a strange experience and i'm pleased as well sort of my his faith in me being able to do it was proven and restored and so he was able to see maybe what he saw in me when he cast me um and yeah, any ups and downs that we had in the in the rehearsal room was was sort of forgotten, I suppose. Yeah. 
And after your training there, you went to London and you undertook a variety of jobs that I think some people looking at it from the outside would say they might not look like the sort of things that would develop you as a performer, but they most definitely do. <laughs> do you want to talk us through that period? Yes. So uh, I remember graduating um, in July and moving back to the sleepy hometown in Lincolnshire. I lasted about two weeks and I thought, no, I can't do this. I, I need buzz and culture and um, around me. I can't slip back into the life I had before. So I packed up and moved to London and obviously needed to get a job. So my first job in London was at Madame Tussauds working as the photography agents, you know, as you pass through the attraction, there are certain key waxworks where you can have a professional photographer, professional, and um, take a photo of you with, say, the Queen, um, Obama, and uh, passing figures. If, if they, you know, if they've just won an Oscar, then of course we'd pop a set on there. And then I've got to get you there maybe you and the family or just yourself and position you take a photo give you your token and then later on you can buy a souvenir and so I would flip between photography and the sales aspect your day was spent doing 50-50 now I'd never experienced anything quite like it the six weeks holiday when thousands upon thousands of international tourists passed through some with little to no English some come on mass with 20 members of the family and you are solely in control of this set people are climbing over barriers under barriers to get access but it's obviously messing with with my set to take the photographs so you've got to command the space in the sense of organizing cues um, controlling flow getting people engaged to take a good photo because obviously a good photo they're more likely to buy the key ring or the snow globe later on and then of course later on trying to interact with them all the while giving them the history of two swords so this experience uh, explaining how the waxworks are made and all the training that we had and I was good my sales numbers were good and I think it comes from this confidence to be able to speak to anybody and adapt so it's it's no use um, going in hard with a poor single mum who's got five kids climbing all over her and she's not really listening um, you know I can adapt and go and help her with with the kids and and something else or just engaging differently, talking to the children, making them feel like this is the most wonderful thing they've ever done and really just being a character. Now, it was exhausting uh, and some days very infuriating. So I moved on from that job. And um, after sweet talking, my dear, dear grandmother, the bank of grandma, um, I took a um, not unpaid but I suppose subsidized um, internship at Vogue House so I was working in the press offices there organizing um, the invitations to go out for parties and couriers and managing all the press that other publications had mentioned um, and such and I'm as a 
lover of fashion and style as well obviously walking into that hallowed hall and passing through Vogue and seeing Alexander Schulman and going down to Tatler and GQ uh, was um, incredible I mean terrifying waking up every day thinking I only have Primark to wear to Vogue what am I going to do um, but again knowing how to present yourself in a certain air suddenly the, the, the Primark disappeared you you were part of the team um, I made an effort to engage with everyone make sure they knew my name networked uh, and I think that comes again from the confidence to put yourself on stage follows through into life of putting yourself forward to the people you meet because you never know who you might meet and the opportunity that may come from it now that didn't last or too long before grandmother's like right you need a job because London rent's very expensive so I applied uh, for Harrods Disney so they were opening a, a pop-up boutique and they wanted people with sales experience or retail experience but also those who obviously knew Disney films and songs front to back but uh, would be good with children but also good with luxury customers and so we went in and we had to really sell ourselves I suppose to a Disney standard just the cheerfulness the politeness the sort of willingness to go above and beyond to make this experience even though it's your hundredth customer of the day they should you know feel like the customer that uh, you're, you're solely looking after um, and that was great fun I mean we met the uh, the, the big chief of um, of Disney he came in Bob Iger and we all got to meet him and Mickey Mouse came in um, at the time I'm 22 years old but inside I'm squealing like an eight-year-old and um, it was great fun but again it was a pop-up so I then moved within Harrods through children's wear to ending up in handbags and I'm thinking oh maybe this is it for me and maybe I'm, I won't be performing as such again uh, one I suppose in London time is thin you're working a nine-hour shift and then obviously commuting an hour an hour each end you've got an 11-hour day the thought of then maybe going to a rehearsal or a studio space afterwards is you just wanted to get home open a bottle of wine and get into bed but also funding it if you went part-time or if you tried to pay for classes or anything else it was going to be expensive and so I just sort of resigned myself to the fact that well actually maybe I won't perform in a sense again I'll always enjoy going to the theatre always did took advantage of the the last minute tickets to, to go and see as many shows as possible um, but just thinking well I, I, I you know I enjoy the job I have now I, I love fashion Harrods was a fantastic place to work for if again retail very stressful um, but I always tried to bring in a little bit of personality and I suppose presence um, and it, it always paid off because I, I was always known even 
in a company that has thousands of employees, heads of departments could walk through and, you know, they, hi, Chloe, hi, how are you? And it, that, I always like to be the big fish in the small pond. <laughs> but when you move to London, you're a very, very small fish in a, an ocean. And it was like, regardless of what I did, I always wanted to get back up to that sort of level of being known and appreciated and called on when people thought I would be um, necessary for whatever they were doing. And I think, again, that comes from performing. You, you want the spotlight and you want recognition but you want to exert yourself for it you, you don't obviously want to be handed it solely um just because you you want to earn it and i think i always tried to do that in whatever role i had be it retail hospitality i did some bar work interning um moving around just to i suppose keep my own sanity and get out of bed in the morning and not feel like I failed as a performer and and moved away from that world I mean luxury retail as well must bring with it enormous possibilities for people watching and character observation just the sorts of people you get over the door the stories I have and you know you do play celebrity spots and uh, the whispers pass through the so-and-so's in the shop so-and-so's here and obviously you're trying to go and have a little peek um, but also the non-celebrities but the the highly wealthy royalty coming through I in fact unknowingly was asked to, uh, to go and put together an outfit when I was at Harvey Nichols uh, of a, a dress that could be worn to say the races or something with a hat and a pair of shoes and a handbag and put together a, a piece and it got sent up to private shopping and they approved it and it was sent out and turns out Kate Middleton wore it on a tour of Australia and I'm thinking I picked that dress that's that's <laughs> ridiculous that I've I've somehow dress the future queen of england without you know without realizing it um but it, these experiences yep it makes a great dinner dinner party chat and um i don't think i'd ever get those sort of experiences ever again um a sort of insider look into that world without being part of it um but yeah it was never dull and i did get to meet a lot of celebrities but the rule was you you had to treat them as a a customer which is why they shopped there they didn't want the fuss and the fluff but i laid down to my manager and said there are there are four people who if they come in the rules are out the window i'm sorry i'm going to fangirl all over them julie andrews obviously obviously the queen because i mean i just i'd probably just want to hug her Colin Firth, I'd hump his leg like a dog, you know, um, and then Beyonce, and annoyingly, she did come in on my day off, um, yeah, but uh, um, it's probably for the best, again, I probably would have been removed forcibly by her security, um, but uh, yeah, other than that, you had to sort of treat them as members of the public, 
you both know this is that weird thing where you look at each other and obviously your face recognizes them and they realize that you recognize who they are and then you act like you don't know who they are it's a very weird dynamic in your head you're going it's Penelope Cruz it's Penelope Cruz it's Penelope Cruz but you're just like and what can I help you with today it's strange <laughs> I mean we've talked you know some length there about um, your work with you know particularly high-end fashion and that sort of thing and it's only as long as I've known you you've always had impeccable style um is is fashion how you perform day to day when you're not you know directly performing and and what role has fashion had in, you, in your life and your work yeah definitely it's what do i want to present to the world today and i it goes on my mood um and of course, what, where you're going, you've got to take that. I'm a, a great fan of a dress code um, and having having something to sort of aim for. Um, but I've always been playful from, you know, a child, I'd be climbing trees in a, a ball gown, but I've got welly boots on. Um, but I wanted to wear the ball gown that day. Um, and I was never... I'm, I suppose, again, it's my, it's my, it's my, my grandma and my mum, but my grandma always pushed towards style over fashion trends. Um, I know what works for my body, and if, if just because it's in, in fashion or it's a, a trend, um, I won't wear it. And sometimes it means that you can look incredibly unfashionable but stylish and I think I know I'm never going to be Kate Moss cool and I'm fine with that I'm I'm a lover of vintage styles 30s 40s 50s 60s glamour and I'm very feminine in shape and these fashions work for me whereas if you put me in a 90s low-rise jean just just awful <laughs> and I suppose yeah really deciding on what you want to present to the people that you meet even if it is just popping to the bakery or you know going to the supermarket for milk it's still a performance and it doesn't mean to say you need to be done up to the nines but you should I think you should feel good in what you are wearing because you you will walk, walk taller and um it's infectious you see people when they pass you in the street they take a look they may smile or even come up to you and you know, ask you where you got this from or praise you on on your outfit and that does feel really good sometimes you get people who don't quite get what you're trying to do and they look a bit confused but I also quite love that as well um, that uh, it's completely personal in in response and it's fun for me um, I, I do plan because I'm awful in the morning so I, I can sleep for for Britain and I have to if I know I'm going somewhere I have to at least mentally have an outfit together so I 
don't just throw something on the next day because it's it's not going to be as good it's it's as as maybe something you've constructed and going back to the performance element i always found putting your costume on helps so much with your performance so obviously obvious things like corsets or whatever else is going to make you stand differently you shallower breaths you've got to work on voice control but being a queen but you know if you're in tracky bottoms for rehearsal it's quite difficult to feel regal in you know um, a avarice with ski club hoodie (laughs) so having that really helps and I think the same it then passes through into life if you feel good and you know you look good then you'll do better and it's the you know there's always dress for the job you wish you had these this sort of idea um it's been slightly challenging since now being in berlin a city of minimal unglamorous very raw fashion everything's quite muted black sportswear party wear lots of leather and and sort of hard tougher fabrics and i show up you know, two suitcases filled with pink fluffy things and bright yellow tops and but I've just refused and people do look at you on the street you know when you've got red lipstick on in the day and uh, maybe a pair of heels or something but I just refuse to just wear what everyone else is wearing just because everyone else is wearing it because it's not me and I won't feel as good in it you probably make yourself a little smaller um the last thing i want to do is disappear into a crowd it's just not me i need to be seen and if that means wearing you know a leopard print dress red lipstick and uh, a little handbag on my arm uh, just to go and yeah pick up bread and milk from the supermarket so be it <laughs> well i mean but i think in my experience of of your particular approach to fashion and style has always been that you make very glamorous stuff look immaculate but in an accessible way to people around you so it's it's people don't feel don't feel intimidated but they will notice and they will appreciate yeah i mean i think it was and and also you you have a Sorry, this is going to sound appallingly to our audience. So I'm just sitting here. Uh, you've never refused before. Uh, yeah. um, I think, in terms of how it is possible to make anything look good, anything that looks good look better just by how you wear it. I think my one of my favorite moments in terms of how other people who we didn't know engaged with it was um it was an appalling clang moment here but chloe and i did go to a little soiree a few years ago at the palace with her match and um they um uh it was the woman on the street as we were waiting 
for the gates to open who who came over and said to you that's an amazing dress who designed it for you because <laughs> yeah. that was the you know i think if i hadn't known you i'd have made that assumption too probably <laughs> I, I i i think it goes back to how you feel in the in the clothes and i felt amazing in it. it but it was you know an ASOS buy something I just found online and thought well, that's nice and it has pockets because uh, there's not enough pockets in women's clothes and the the, little, the the straw boater was from my grandmother just a vintage probably car boot find you know for 50p uh, I was lucky enough I did borrow a friend's handbag she had a, a beautiful little designer crossbody and just a uh, just to sort of elevate it and and put it all together, but um, yeah, I it would yeah would never want people to feel uncomfortable uh, in in what I was wearing. Um, but I do sometimes feel I have had a, friend, a few friends tell me this: if they know they're meeting me, they will think about their outfit. I'm like, you don't have to do that. Uh, he said, no, if I know we're going for, for lunch or something, I will maybe put a shirt on over a T-shirt. <laughs> it's, like, it's not a job interview. Please just be comfortable. They said, well, you know, I just sometimes feel a bit silly when you're sitting there in a, in a, in a you know, full dress and, and everything else. And I've just got jeans and a T-shirt. And I said, but I, I like that about, about you look good in a jeans and a T-shirt. But um, yeah, it's fun. I, I hope I never grow out of dressing up and having a sort of sense of style. It's changed uh, through weight fluctuations and money coming through. Um, of course, it changes, but I am that awful idealistic shopper where I have an idea in my head of how I want to look. And it probably comes through from years of absorbing Hollywood films, especially old Hollywood, and thinking, I want to look like that. Um, and it probably then goes, yeah, I want to look like that because of the way they were treated. But, um, you know, she's the, the leading female or, you know, she gets the, she gets the guy or she um, is, the, you can't take your eyes off her when she's doing an eight minute dance break in a in a in a mgm musical and think i want to live my life in an mgm musical um even if i am just popping to see a friend for a cup of tea and is it covering is it masking something or is it adding to something i think adding um if anything i probably dress down when i feel down and I notice when I do it, and now and people start to notice like if I do show up in just jeans and the top. It's like, are you are you ill? What's what's happening? And and then I may just say no. I just wanted to wear jeans today, but realistically, there is probably something sort of going on, and I'm not feeling my best, or I am a bit tired, or sort of run down, or upset about something. Uh, that that sort of spark for getting up doing your hair and makeup and putting an outfit together is maybe lost. Um, and then it's a sort of, right, okay, you know it makes you feel good, so to so put a bit more effort in. So my, my grandmother always, even if she was out in the garden, 
which no one could see into, high fences, would always put her lipstick on. Always. And, she, I, I, you know, as a small child, you go, why? She was, because it's for me. And I feel put together and more like myself. And you're just like, well, there you have it. It's, um, it's something for you. Um, it can obviously influence everyone around you. But um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a personal, I suppose, control of everything that's going on in your head and your feelings and what you want out of that day. Um, when you sort of head out, I mean, don't get me wrong, when, I, when I'm not going anywhere, I love it. I love lounging around in pajamas, hair scraped up, absolutely no makeup. I mean, this quarantine, it's been one out of five days to, since I've put a bra on. It's felt wonderful, but <laughs> but it but it also felt weird. Um, and then when lockdown here was lifted, we just went to um, our one of our favourite restaurants, and I couldn't. Have, I went full blown. Uh, dressed up, head. We were going to a French place, and like head to toe black, red lipstick on, nails done, hair done, leopard print coat, handbag on, and you arrive there in Berlin, and everyone else is just in leggings and a t-shirt or a hoodie, and you do walk in and feel a little out of place, but then slightly enjoy that. Also, everyone is maybe having a little glance over at you as well, mm-hmm. and it felt like I'm back. Yeah. I feel like myself again, definitely. Of course, all of this that we've talked about, I mean, that, that whole sort of dressing up and dressing up for you um, is a huge part of the work that you do now as a burlesque artist, is, is that the whole sort of style and fact, you know, whatever you may do with the clothes once they're on, <laughs> the, uh, is a huge part of the world of, of burlesque. What first drew you to burlesque as an art form? Um, what did you feel, what do you feel, I suppose, um, you wanted to say through your persona and through your work? I suppose the first thing that drew me to it, I hadn't really seen anything live until a friend's hen party in London. And we went along to the once great Madame Jojo's Mm. in Soho. And we saw a live show and we all dressed up um, for the hen. And I I think I put together, it, it probably tacky as anything now you know from um fancy dress shops a bad feather boa and a cheap ill-fitting corset with roughly knickers on and a pink wig and um we went along I ended up being dragged on stage for um like a, a shimmy competition and I ended up winning and uh, we had champagne and everything else but I remember watching the show and first of all falling in love with the costumes just dripping in rhinestones and uh, yeah, the, the the corsets and the stockings and the gloves and it's just glamour that in our in our age we don't experience we don't we don't do um and the feathers and showgirl again mgm musical fantasy meets Las Vegas showgirls and just being in awe and thinking I want to live in these clothes but then also how 
much power this performer had over a room of drunken idiots. You know, but they, you'd watch someone take this glove off. And, you know, a, a glove is not, now nowadays is not particularly scandalous if a woman takes a glove off and yet you're there holding your breath, watching every beat as she does it. And I love the control that the performer had. It was um, incredible um, to see. And then the naughtiness of it, the, the sort of cheekiness. And it was, I, so I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And I thought I'd like to do something like that. However, for me, then thinking, I don't know if I could take my clothes off on stage. And it's definitely something I've had to learn and shed. Um, that came from moving to Berlin. So the city is a free, freeing experience. Uh, I realized that I had this instilled British uptightness, that nudity meant sex and your body was to be something to either be ashamed of or to be hidden. And it, 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 you give it to another person and you know looking back um, hiding in changing rooms under towels to keep everything hidden even though you're you know in an all female space um, here I can go to the sauna now and it's it's there's every every gender and sex under the sun all in one room and you're standing completely naked you go to the lakes the same thing and just realizing that it's just skin and just because you're nude it doesn't mean anything it doesn't cheapen you it doesn't it doesn't make you a slut it doesn't you're not asking for attention you're just naked and so it took me a while to learn or unlearn I suppose this and also to realize that bodies are all different and that's what why burlesque is so brilliant because it shows different bodies it shows fat bodies thin bodies um no boobs huge boobs male bodies uh, disabilities as well it, it it showcases everything different races different um sexual preferences and gender identities it's it's not photoshopped perfect bodies and I think in typically in the UK that's all as a, a young female that's all you see in magazines and films and then you think oh well if my boobs don't look like that and my bum doesn't look like that then I should I have no business showing my body off because clearly no one wants to see it and so when you get to burlesque and you see a, a bigger person or someone with the same body shape as you or someone that you, you just wouldn't maybe think would be confident to do that and suddenly they're they're going for it hell's bells the audience is going crazy you can see how much they're loving it and you're thinking this is fantastic I want that feeling
and the first performance I did when I moved here after doing some classes and sort of developing um, uh, a persona and an act, um, we're all backstage, we're all graduating students and they, are you nervous, are you nervous? And everyone's like, yeah, I, I've never been on stage before. I've never, oh, the audience, I'm really scared. And for me, it was like, I am really terrified about taking my clothes off. You can put me on stage for hours. You could just send me out there with a microphone now and I will entertain them, no problem. But the thought of going and being essentially topless for all of 20 seconds put the fear of God into me. And I did it, uh, the audience went crazy and I had that weird, I don't really remember much of actually performing and you get off stage and you're out of breath and all sweaty and on this huge adrenaline rush. And I was like, I want to do it again. Um, and it just sort of developed. And I, with my persona, I wanted to sort of show that sexiness can be what you want it to be um it can be all out femme fatale it can be you know vamp with a, a, a whip or for me i am aware i've got a cutesy little baby face with a tendency to pull faces on stage can't control it it just it goes with however I'm feeling so I went down this sort of comedy cheeky route and I thought if my face is going to betray me well I might as well make it look like I'm doing it on purpose and I love the safety net laughter gives me because even if someone doesn't think that your performance was either particularly sexy or provocative they, they probably laughed so my opening act was um, a sort of low budget. I didn't want to spend a huge amount on a costume. It was just uh, pajamas and uh, my hair in curlers. And I get stood up as I'm getting ready for this date. And I proceed to drink a lot of white wine on stage, um, watered down. I did it once with wine. It was awful. It hit halfway through the dance. And... Um, and then halfway through, I think, well, screw him and proceed to pull out a big pink sparkly dildo and um, have some fun um, pretending to self-love on stage whilst in pink sparkly hot pants and hair curlers. And obviously no one expects you to go into this box and just present this on stage like. And um, it always goes down a tree and it's my sort of lazy, lazy act because it's, it's so simple. I'm in pajamas, um, but I know it's always going to get the audience going. And I thought, yeah, I, I can run with this. This can be Cadbury, this tongue in cheek. I think still holding on to that British sense of humor of timing um, and knowing what works and how to play to the room um, incorporating classic elements of burlesque through the classes and the shows that I go to um, but then sometimes saying 
to the rules and saying, well, I don't want to do it like that. And that's the great thing about burlesque is it's yours to do with what you want. However, you've got to do it well. And decide on who you want to be. And that can change for each performance you do. Um, I have different things where then I did a Cleopatra act and it was more sensual, but still cheeky, um, playing yeah, this seductress of a queen, um, which is obviously very different from pajama, pajama lady to, to queen lady, but it's still Cadbury at the core. Um, but it's Cadbury playing different roles. So I suppose you get Chloe playing Cadbury playing different roles and it goes through and I adore doing it. It's given me this, again, this new lease of performance, a new complete school of performance. And I've met some incredible performers and they're all from different walks of life. Some come from theater, some come from singing or, or dance training. Uh, others are, are sex workers. They're, strippers pole dancers and they incorporate it into into what they do and I love that you're surrounded by people who are ultimately artists they create something from usually a tiny budget unless you know you're a huge headliner and you can make something completely wonderful with it that you know might just brighten up someone's Thursday Thursday evening Berlin is obviously a city synonymous with cabaret and with uh, this sort of um, type of performance and thriving burlesque scene, which I think you're now a pretty integral part of. But was it a, a tough scene to crack? Um, there, there's a few schools that offer like a graduate program, so you graduate by performing. Um, it. At the beginning felt a bit clicky, so this school, that school, all friends that had developed and, you know, they they knew other people and it was like, oh, you don't know so-and-so, and you're like, well, you have to go do some more research. Um, but I made an effort of going to shows and volunteering, so to do the door or to stage kitten and pick up the, the clothes as they're thrown off, um, just to show willingness um maybe see a show for free because I, I just moved over and i wasn't really earning or earning all that much and just to i suppose have people used to you being around and um then just putting yourself forward to for anything so if you have got a spot um you know i can come down or you know if someone calls sick i'm down the road i've got my costume ready to go i can be there in two hours or something like that um and that was good and then I started performing more regularly we've got some great venues that are thankfully opening up again um and just um saying you know this is what I can offer you and taking time to build um content be it on Instagram or Facebook so you are searchable um but then there was um, a moment with a friend of mine. She has a master's in directing 
um, but we worked together in a, a startup. That's how we met. And she was round on sitting here in the flat, and we were probably a couple of bottles of wine in. And we were talking about um, the possibility of us producing and opening up a whole new sort of show to the Berlin market because there are some fabulous drag nights that always offer spots to burlesque performers. Um, the, the schools always do these big graduation and festivals. Um, and then there's um, other uh, more um, niche things that are going on. Things There's a fantastic night called Juice, Juice, Juice. Um, led by, led by two um, two uh, American Jews that bring in drag and 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 burlesque and um, creating great spaces for queer performers and we would decide oh maybe we want to offer something something else as well and uh, we wanted to combat the issue that sometimes arises where new performers can sometimes be expected to to perform for free or for a very small fee and we think um you should be given something for your performance even even if it's your first so the idea is we wanted to create this production little production company that would allow a spot for new performers so they can try it out in a space that is completely non-judgmental of their skill level and and such and it sort of grew we we did our first one in a in a really great bar they're really supportive and it was tiny tiny space and we filled it filled it everyone came to see the show and we had some drag we had some singing we had um burlesque from local artists who again who didn't get booked too often or would um were struggling to get booked and it's sort of grown and we're now at a much bigger venue uh monster ronson's uh which is this fantastic um karaoke bar come um queer safe space with uh, with a stage for performance and they kind of let us do whatever we want they're like yep there's no restrictions you go for it and um, we do one i suppose once every season because um charlotte and i both work full-time outside of of this and um, we try and pull in themes and put out calls for performers with acts that would fit themes um so if we did a pride show and you know we we, we insisted on having uh, every performer would be queer identifying so we, we weren't taking space up um from from queer performers in a pride show it didn't feel right and myself i i as i don't identify as queer i didn't perform and it was quite nice just to watch and enjoy it uh, we've done political shows we've done fun halloween shows and it has helped me then as a performer integrate into other circles as well because i am then hiring other performers so then they come and and, and perform for extravagant shambles which is our our show um and then they may then have me go and perform in their production or somebody may come and see one of the performers we've booked because they're a fan 
and then for instance I may perform on the same night and then I get booked through that because they've seen me perform when maybe they haven't before and so there is Berlin is great in the the community is very supportive and um, they try to be as open as you know they can obviously it's it is competitive and as performers as well um you 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 you, you want the booking um there's this at the minute there's obviously discussions about the um equality of performers ongoing of um you know are are we giving enough space to black performers people of color are we giving enough space to queer performers are we giving enough space to you know uh, minority groups and it's a discussion that everyone any booker is is dealing with uh, but also as a performer you're also aware that um things may change for the better but it's an ongoing discussion but berlin has been a great support and because everything is cheaper here it's much more realistic to be able to survive as a performer full-time as say in london where rents are double triple and and everything else on top of it so i think that's why artists do flock to berlin there is that there's the history of the cabaret obviously the nightclub scene is is world famous um the city doesn't really sleep and there's always somewhere else for you to go um so people do flock here for that but just i guess as everywhere else in the world there's there's still things that we can be doing better um to help all performers really achieve their potential yeah for sure uh, Germany obviously handled the COVID-19 outbreak pretty well, probably because you have a, a functioning government made up of real people over there rather than the sort of cartoonist who I dreamed of a setup. <laughs> but um, how, how was lockdown for you? Um, strange. Um, I started working from home uh, for the, the startup that I worked for um, for a while. And I, I think I got, it went a crazy uh, I, I sort of lost my mind a little bit um, I'm used to being socially exhausted before I go to bed so then moving from what you can probably see behind the dining room table to where I am now on the sofa that being my day and the only person I've talked to is either on the phone like this or or, or Mark, my my partner, then I was just, there was no switching off and you're climbing into bed and I wasn't physically exhausted and I wasn't mentally exhausted. And because of that, your brain's going into overload and you're remembering the most ridiculously embarrassing things from when you're eight years old and you're thinking, why am I thinking about this now? And I just missed going out and being with people because I used to love going out and being with people but I love that relaxation when you return home and you've had a good night but you're pleased to be home and I was not pleased to be home and then um, I stopped working 
um, just because the company decided that they would keep a minimal skeleton, skeleton team on to keep everything afloat, but obviously for financial reasons that it wasn't possible that we could all keep working. And that actually was better for me because I could almost pick my own boredom. <laughs> I wasn't forced to sit at a desk for eight hours a day. Um, I could look at maybe doing some other projects. So I did a bit of costuming and I've uh, done some reading and then I've taken some online classes. I've taught some online burlesque classes. Um, and then things started to relax. And so, oh, we could go to the park or two households could meet. And we've got some lovely friends that live down the road. And so we did, we did a cake exchange at the beginning where they'd bake a cake one week and we as the next and we just drop round slices just outside the door so you weren't actually going in and then we started doing dinner parties and taking it in turns to put on a, a whole evening and play games and it was really really nice to have that to look forward to and think just two more days and then we'll be at Andrew and Niels's having having uh, you know curry night and then playing games and drinking copious amounts of gin and then restaurants opened and now bars are open and so I'm in this weird place of being on furlough or Kurtzarbeide as it's here and the weather's glorious and I have nothing to do so I have this freedom where financially I'm you know it's not wonderful but it's enough for rent and and eating but I can sort of do what I want. And I've never had this in my life because I, I went straight from school to university to work. I had no gap year. I had no sort of time off. This is the first time in my life where I can wake up and do what I want, uh, be it go to the lakes or stay in bed all day or go see a friend. And going back to work is gonna be very difficult for sure um, but now the performance spaces are opening up then I can look at performing more often because before I was balancing it between a full-time job and obviously not wanting to perform on a school night because uh, invariably you know there's always Prosecco or champagne after a show and then you've got to head into work the next day whereas now that I don't have that alarm clock um, the days of the week no longer mean anything but also my uh, alcohol intake has vastly increased. Um, but I, yeah, it, it, it's been really good here. And I don't know, the Germans just seem to get on with things. <laughs> you know, the, just, they just seem to, yep, just sort of listen to what the government's telling you and just sort of plod on with it. And there's, there's no gray areas. The, the rules were laid down. Um, I mean, obviously, I watch the news and follow all the newspapers from the UK, and every day is something else. And you talk to friends and see how their experiences are going. And uh, yeah, it, I have to say, it's it's quite nice uh, being under Merkel right now. I have to say. <laughs> who can blame you for for, the, for doing that, really? So that now that performance spaces are opening up and that sort of thing, what what can we? expect from Cadbury Parfait and climate? 
Uh, well, the first issue is uh, current costumes are going to be a bit of a squeeze because there's definitely been uh, some quarantine increases, which is fine. I'm, you know, it, it's happened. It's been a stressful time and things change. So um, there may be some adaptions that need to be done. Uh, I've got a few performances booked, some still virtually because they're, they're UK based and I want to work on a new act. I've got the basis down. Um, it's it's going to be um, a sort of Dorothy Gale from the Wizard of Oz theme and uh, have been sat rhinestoning a lot. And then hopefully talking to my uh, co-producer Charlotte to look at getting Extravagant Shambles back up because we were lucky we, we were able to do a Valentine's show on Valentine's Day before all of this hit. And so it'd be nice to maybe do a show in the summer just as a welcome welcome back um you know we're 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 here um and showing that now more than any uh, you know now more than any other time um theater the arts need support um that of all the things people have done in lockdown there they turned to film and television and music and and books and uh, you know artistic skills to get them through it and so you know we want the sort of favor to be returned uh with ticket sales and you know participation and such like that and you know i want to do my bit to keep pushing for awareness of that and I think Cadbury um, coming from yeah that the sort of small humble beginning of, of local theatre which is massively underfunded uh, wants to keep pushing for the importance of a theatre performance in, in any form um, and then hopefully um, some festivals later on in the year a few have been postponed obviously um, but it, I was, <laughs> it was my first year, which was looking pretty, you know, blocked out. And unfortunately, obviously it didn't go that way. And I was supposed to be going all over the UK and um, to the Netherlands and, and all sorts of festivals. And they've all been sort of a pin put in those, but obviously we appreciate it for, for public safety. Uh, but we hope that audience members that always used to come to shows continue to but then it also brings in new people just because if like me your attitude is now what what am I waiting for this is sort of just do it because you don't know the next time this sort of life could become normal which is an awful thought if this continues but then if there's threats of wars and god knows what else going on politically is sort of just 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 go out just go and do something and also think about where your money's going um if you you know you're happy to go and spend 50 pounds 50 euros in a giant commercial um i don't know cinema to see a film but you're unwilling to go see a friend show for 10 euros um 
to think about who it's benefiting. Um, you know, the, 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 the Hollywood film is not going to miss your cinema entry. But it could be um, a sort of end of a career for a performer or a venue that has since been closed during, during lockdown. Um, so, you know, we've done some work with a few venues and we want to see what we can do. And, you know, we, we happily do some, some charity fundraising raffles and things within shows to try and generate a bit more income for the venues that do host and support us, definitely. One of the uh, people, as I've been saying to each of our guests, was one of the, the people who've been spirited away by 2020 was James Lipton, who was founder of Inside the Actors Studio. Um, he liked to end uh, each interview with 10 quick questions, which he had stolen from elsewhere. And so <laughs> no qualms about doing so from him. Um, so to begin at the beginning, What's your favourite word? Weirdly, it's puddle. I like saying it. It feels good on the mouth. Puddle. And your least favourite word? Um, accurately, because I have to sound it to say it correctly. Um, a question you can answer however you like. What turns you on? money is that dark ah we'll run with it you know we'll run with it what turns you off lateness yeah just it so rude really irritates me i can state for the record that clary turned up on the dot at two o'clock which was <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and has never narrowly been late i think for any time we ever met um, what sound or noise do you love? Uh, the the sea, the ocean. And what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, um, loud chewers, when you can hear everything that's going on in the mouth, really off-footing. What's your favourite swear word? It's the big one. Um, it's obviously very divisive. It's cunt. Beautifully delivered. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? It's a good one. I've been thinking about this during lockdown a lot. Um, I think a teacher in some form. I, I, I learn by teaching. And I learned a lot through teaching recently. Um, yeah, I, d I don't know what. Uh, I don't know whether children or adults, probably children, they're, I find they're more malleable than, uh, than adults. And what profession would you not ever want to do? Ooh, um, I, I suppose dentist if when your time comes you discover that heaven does indeed exist what do you want to hear said to you on arrival Ooh. 
Oh, that's a good one. I suppose that anything goes. <laughs> We've had some questions sent in from from um I was gonna say real people there. I'll try that again. <laughs> We've had some questions sent in um to be uh, put to you. Um firstly, Anne from Wolverhampton. Are you ever self-conscious? Uh if so, why and how do you overcome this? Um Yes, I'd say so. Um, usually in new situations that I I don't know. I, I'm not very good at not being useful, so I hate arriving to a new venue and they don't really do anything with you and you're standing there and you don't really know what to do. And um, I, st I still have that British politeness of just, just, just don't, don't do anything. Just stand there until you, you're sort of told what to do, uh, lest you wander into a room you're not supposed to or or upset someone. So I can feel very self-conscious when I'm a bit lost. And I suppose I've had to teach myself to ask questions um, and not feel like a burden through that. And I suppose just saying to yourself, look, you're being ridiculous. No one else is going to be thinking this about you if you just ask or, um, or if you just even step out of a, a situation that you're uncomfortable with. Um, just remembering that whatever you're imagining in your head is probably worse than anyone is thinking. And just think it, it can't get worse than this. So, you know, do your best. Uh, we've had two in, in Berlin. Um, uh, Jack has asked for a, a, a three in one. Uh, what's been the most difficult thing about making it in burlesque? Have you encountered racism along the way? And what would you still like to achieve within burlesque? Oh, okay. So first point, probably costuming. I am a massive procrastinator and can be found the night before still gluing things to things. And I built, I beat myself up every time I do it because I think it's not as good as it could be and now you're stressed and everything else, but do I do it the next time? Yes, of course I do it the next time because that's just who I am as a person. Um, I work best under pressure. Um, I suppose the racism one, the, I suppose the simple answer is yes, uh, but not in uh, in any sort of outwardly aggressive experience more of um either being sort of tokenized and you know 10 white performers and then they go oh tick box we've got we've got our one non-white uh individual in um or yeah just um just sometimes the use of words things like exotic ugh. Um, and bad lighting like a, like learn to light different skin tones learn to photograph different skin tones different different bodies um, it, one it makes you a, a better you know lighting director a better photographer but also it, it, it does help the performer look and feel better but then we did have a, a situation which it shouldn't shouldn't have been a one-off but at one point I was doing a show again at some Stark in August uh, with the 
gorgeous Coco de Ville and Martini uh, Cherry was hosting. And we looked up and we said, we've never been in a backstage and we were all black. We, we never had that. And it was a weird sort of emotional thing. We had a big hug and, and everything else. And uh, Coco and Martini have been working far longer than I have. And they said, God, it, it really shouldn't be. A, a, a celebration this should be you know just a norm but sadly it was a big deal and uh, obviously you know we had a wonderful night together um but it just goes to show that, that yeah there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done in terms of checkboxing tokenizing performers um or worse like fetishizing them um to 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 fit this sort of ex uh, yeah exotic ideal that you have going on um and then fight what was point three uh what would you still like to achieve within burlesque yeah uh, i suppose I, I want to continue refining and always learning uh travel more do f more festivals um sort of dying to continue going around europe to the uk um and then you know hopefully go over to america and at least go and see the burlesque hall of fame um in vegas and uh, always wanted to go to new orleans and experience the uh, sort of the culture and the burlesque there um and then i suppose yeah continue helping facilitate discussions on how it can get better how it can change and just being a part of that um and yeah just hopefully making a difference even if it's just a teeny amount just just being part of that uh, and finally um luke asks after 2020 through everything at us who do you choose Brittany or christina oh there's no i think Brittany, um due to some fantastic posts that she's been making during this um you know it's bad when Brittany challenges capitalism and suggests maybe moving towards a socialist uh, approach when Brittany is saying uh, something like that there's something really wrong with the system so uh, Brittany and I really hope her next album comes out is called Manifesto please Brittany please <laughs> there we go Cadbury Parfait thank you very much indeed thank you for having me it's been a, a real pleasure You've been listening to Dark Unicorn in Conversation with Chloe Gale, otherwise known as Cadbury Parfait. The show is written, presented and edited by Paddy Cooper, theme music by Curtis Batson. Special thanks to the estate of James Upton, the estate of Keith Morris, Professor Emeritus David E. Adrabi, Shimmy Shake, Berlin Burlesque Academy, Camille Photography, Veronica Marks, The Grand Club, Daniel Pykoff, Rackin Spitzenhoschen and River Hughes. The series was executive produced on behalf of Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Eleanor Sturton. COVID-19 presents one of the greatest threats to theatre in living memory. The performing arts need you now more than ever. Please, consider supporting our work by becoming a patron, with packages starting at just £50 per year to be a rainbow unicorn. Just visit darkunicorn.org. Science helps us solve problems, but creativity helps us cope with them. Please don't let the performing arts be another casualty of the pandemic. Thank you. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.